Welcome to Exaltation. This is Father David Masterson bringing you the beautiful, the good, and the true. Our scripture today is Genesis 14, verses 9 to 16. Now the king of Sodom and the king of Gomorrah came against Kedorlaomer, king of Elam four kings against five. Now the valley of Siddim was full of tar pits, and the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled and fell into them. But those who survived fled into the hill country, and they took Lot, Abram's nephew, and his possessions and departed, for he was living in Sodom. Then a fugitive came and told Abram the Hebrew. Now he was living by the oaks of Mamre. And when Abram heard this, he led out his trained men born in his house, 318, and pursued the enemy. He divided his force against them by night, he and his servants, and defeated them and pursued them. And he brought back all the goods and also his relative lot with his possessions and his people. Twelve years before this story was told, Kedorla Omer, the king of Elam, the region north of the Persian Gulf, had subjugated all of Palestine with the help of three other kings. So four kings conquered five smaller kings. For twelve years, the five smaller kings served Kedorla Omer, but in the thirteenth year they rebelled against him. So Kedorla Omer, with his allies, goes to war against the five smaller kings, and he defeats them in the place called the Valley of Siddim. This is the first time in the book of Genesis that secular history coincides with biblical history. Archaeology has confirmed the existence of these nine kings and the cities they governed. So we know that the biblical account is true because archaeology verifies it. Now verse 10 says that the valley of Siddim was full of bitumen pits, and as the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled, some fell into them and died. Bitumen is another word for asphalt, used to pave roads. So these kings fled into the valley of Siddim and fell down into the asphalt pits and were killed. Now rather than going down into the weeds of identifying the history of each of these kings, and the meaning of their names, it is more worthwhile to try to grasp the bigger picture. One commentator says, This story is described not so much in the interest of secular history as on account of its significance in relation to the kingdom of God. St. Chrysostom, the 4th century church father, says, Let us not pass idly over these words, or consider this account to be of no value. It was of set purpose that sacred scripture recounted everything to us with precision, so that we should learn the degree of valor here displayed. But perhaps someone will say, What good is it for me to know about an ancient story of four kings against five? This story is included in the scriptures so that you may learn the extraordinary degree of God's power and the excellency of Abraham's virtue. 
So we are learning from this story about God's power and about Abraham's courage. Verse 1 in our chapter says, In the days of Amraphel, king of Shinar. What is Shinar? Shinar was the first worldly kingdom founded by Nimrod in Genesis chapter 10, verse 10. Remember Nimrod from Genesis chapter 10? After the flood, we have only the family of Noah left on the earth. He has three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Two of these sons partake of the wicked line of Cain, and only Shem becomes part of the godly line from which will come our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Nimrod comes from the line of Ham, the ungodly seed. The name Nimrod is connected with the word rebel in Hebrew. So we have Nimrod, a mighty tyrannical leader, wanting to make a name for himself and gathering men around him, building the first worldly city. In contrast to Nimrod and the city of Shinar, we have Abraham, called by God to be a sojourner, to leave the evil of the city and follow after God. If we look at this story from the perspective of the kingdom of God, we see that the five kings represent the five bodily senses, sight, smell, taste, touch, and hearing. The four kings represent the seductions of the body and the world. The body and the world are composed of four basic elements, earth, air, fire, and water. They are called kings because sin has a reign of its own which enslaves us. This is why St. Paul says in Romans 6 verse 12, Let not sin reign in your mortal body, because our senses yield easily to the seductions of the body and the world. So on the allegorical level, we have a deeper meaning behind the words of the text, which teaches us how to live in the kingdom of God. If the attachments of the world overcome and seduce us, by means of the five senses, we lose our citizenship in heaven. We lose the goal of journeying towards the eternal city. We stop being pilgrims passing through the world and become residents of the world and its ways. We become complicit with the world which is to lose our standing as heavenly citizens. Abraham in this story is seen as being in the world but yet not of it. He remains a sojourner, a pilgrim passing through the world but not a resident in the world. Notice verse 11. And they, that is, Kedorla Omer and his allies, took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their food supply and departed. And they also took Lot, Abram's nephew, and his possessions and departed, for he was living in Sodom. We need to see that Kedorla Omer was caught in the deceitfulness of riches and possessions. This is always the case of a king who subdues people under him and levies tribute from them. Why does the Bible say that the love of money is the root of all evil? Always follow the money. It's always about money and power over others. Why are we producing billions of vials of vaccine to be distributed all over the world? 
because a very small group of men are becoming immensely rich due to the mass production of a chemical agent that in many cases inflicts harm upon those who receive it. We must have the courage to face reality. The planned pandemic all around the world is part of a multi-pronged plan to bring about a totalitarian one-world government. It is time for courage, dear friends. It is time for true Christians all around the world to stand up and be counted for Christ and His kingdom. It is time for those who follow the truth and love the Lord Jesus to stop being complicit with the enemy in a worldwide deception. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and the powers and the world forces of this darkness in the heavenly places. I want us to unite under the banner of the cross and go forward into battle. People around the world, both Christian and non-Christian, must stop being complicit with a worldwide deception, or we will lose our basic human freedoms. All the world will come under a one-world government and a one-world economy. We will move to digital currency. All will be owned and run by the state, and all of us will be ruled by totalitarian tyranny. We cannot, dear friends, we must not be complicit with evil. We must not consent. We must have the courage to stand up and be counted, to do the right thing because it is the right thing to do. Now we know as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ that God is sovereign. His providence rules over all. God is allowing the current pattern of events all around the world because he wants to bring judgment upon evil men. 2 Peter 2.9 says, For the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment. Ecclesiastes 12.14 says, For God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. All through history, God allows the evil choices of men to build up until sin reaches its full limit and then God's wrath falls from heaven against all unrighteousness. This has been the history of God's dealing with nations since the beginning of time. So evil is building up in our world until God displays his power. Whatever the circumstances in your country or situation, the virtue that will be required in the months and years ahead is the virtue of courage. Now, verses 13 to 16 of our chapter describe the rescue of Lot by his uncle Abraham. Abraham is still living in his tent, obeying God up near the oaks of Mamre, where he built an altar to the Lord. A fugitive runs to him and tells him that Lot and his family were taken captive by Kedorla Omer. In response to this news, Abraham demonstrates incredible courage by taking 318 of his own trained servants into battle to save Lot. After crafting a well-devised night battle plan, 
Abraham did what successful generals after him, like Caesar, Cromwell, Napoleon, and Stonewall Jackson, all did through military history. Suddenness of attack, skillful division of forces, outflanking and outmarching of the enemy. The result was a splendid victory. The enemy was defeated, the plunder and possessions recaptured, and Lot and his family brought back safely home. In this action, Abraham foreshadows the great kinsman deliverer, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. We know this from the symbolism of the number 318, which expresses numerals by letters. In Greek, the number 318 is T-I-H. I-H in Greek are the first letters for the word Jesus. The Greek symbol for 300 is T. Jesus loved us so much that when we were yet sinners, he waged war against Satan and delivered us from the power of death at a great cost to himself. We must earnestly desire the courage of Abraham and seek to emulate the virtue he displays as a symbol of Jesus, our conquering Redeemer. listening to Exaltation. I'm Father David Masterson bringing you the beautiful, the good, and the true, heralding the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ so that we may experience life in Him. Let's continue our lesson. Now I want us to consider a biblical example of courage in Acts chapter 5, verses 12 to 29. And at the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were taking place among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's portico. But the high priest rose up along with all his associates, that is, the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with jealousy. And they laid hands on the apostles and put them in a public jail. But an angel of the Lord during the night opened the gates of the prison, and taking them out, he said, Go your way. Stand and speak to the people in the temple the whole message of this life. And upon hearing this, 
they entered into the temple about daybreak and began to teach. And someone came and reported to the high priest, Behold, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain went along with the officers and proceeded to bring them back without violence, for they were afraid of the people, lest they should be stoned. And when they had brought them, they stood them before the council. And the high priest questioned them, saying, We gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in this name, and behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered and said, We must obey God rather than men. What Peter and the other apostles demonstrate in this passage is the duty of civil disobedience. Francis Schaeffer, a godly theologian from the 20th century, said, At a certain point, it is not only the privilege, but it is the duty of the Christian to disobey the government if it turns against God. We as Christians, in the name of the Lordship of Christ and all of life, must so think and act as to disobey a tyrannical government. I want to give examples of civil disobedience from believers who suffered under Nazi Germany for their faith. Ernest von Harnack, the son of the famous theologian Adolf von Harnack, was executed by the Nazis on March 5, 1945. The reason for his execution was that he joined the resistant movement in Germany against Hitler. In a letter to his wife on the day before he died, he said, In apocalyptic times like these, with their constant threat of danger and forfeit, the worth of a soul shines forth resplendently. To endure these spiritual afflictions and trials is a difficult task that challenges all one's resources of soul, character, and mind. But we are united spiritually in a realm in which there are no bars nor gates of steel. The next morning, he was executed by the guillotine. His wife wrote to a friend, Courageously and with head erect, he went his way to the end, remaining true to his conviction. He died for his faith. He said the decisive thing is not attaining the goal, but rather holding to the right road. Alphonse Waxman was born in Berlin and ordained a priest in 1921. In 1929, he took over the parish church in the university town of Griswold, where he stood firm against National Socialism. He regularly listened to foreign radio stations, passing on the information he found out, which he referred to as truth service. During the Gestapo's operation against priests in Germany, Watchman was arrested on June 23, 1943, and murdered in Brandenburg on February 21, 1944. In his last letter written on the day of his death, he said, At three o'clock I am going to die. The hour has come that God in his eternal love has ordained for me. Soon I shall pass over into the glory of the living God. 
I have given myself over wholly, completely, and without reservation to God. The Lord Jesus Christ, I know, will carry me up to the Father. The eight months of my preparation for eternity have been difficult, yet very beautiful. Now I must go home through the narrow gate of the guillotine. I commend you to the heart of Christ. God will take care of you. Do not lose courage. Maximilian Kolbe was a priest who was imprisoned at the Auschwitz concentration camp because he had given shelter to 3,000 Jews and published leaflets against Nazi socialism. At the camp, he was singled out for mistreatment by the camp commander because he was a priest. He was assigned to the work detail, building a wall. On one occasion, Colby was forced to carry the heaviest planks until he collapsed. He was then beaten savagely and left for dead in the mud. But fellow prisoners secretly moved him to the camp prison, where he was able to recover. Prisoners reported that he remained selfless and courageous, often sharing the meager food he received with others. In July 1941, three prisoners escaped from the camp. As a result, ten men were chosen to be starved to death in an underground bunker. When one of the men chosen for punishment heard his name called, he cried out, My wife! My children! Immediately, Colby volunteered to take his place. He told the Nazi commander, I am a Catholic priest from Poland. I would like to take his place because he has a wife and children. The condemned man was stunned. He could not believe that a stranger had volunteered to save his life. Listen to these courageous words spoken by Maximilian Kolbe not long before he died. No one in the world can change truth. What we can do and should do is to seek truth and to serve it when we have found it. Richard Wormbrand, 1909-2001, was an Anglican priest who founded the Voice of the Martyrs, a Christian organization which helps spread news about the persecuted church around the world. In his book, Tortured for Christ, Wormbrands tells of unspeakable tortures that Christians suffered in prison under the communists in Romania from 1948 to 1964. He tells of a Christian pastor who was tortured with red-hot iron pokers and with knives. He was beaten very badly and then forced to stand for two weeks day and night. Driven almost insane by exhaustion and pain, he refused to betray his faith. They eventually brought his 14-year-old son to the prison and began to beat the boy in front of his father, saying that they would continue to beat him until the pastor said what they wanted him to say. The poor man bore the torture as long as he could and then cried out to his son, Alexander, I must say what they want. I can't bear your beating any more." The son answered, Father, don't do it. I can't stand the injustice of having a traitor as a father. Withstand. If they kill me, I will die with the words, Jesus, my Savior, on my lips. The communists were enraged. 
They fell upon the child and beat him to death, spattering his blood all over the walls of the cell. This dear pastor's mind and will were broken, and he was never the same afterwards. Christians endured all manner of grievous torture. Some were hung upside down with ropes and beaten so badly that their bodies swung back and forth under the blows. Christians were forced to stand in wooden boxes only the size of a coffin. Dozens of very sharp nails were driven into every side of the box, sticking through the wood. While they stood perfectly still, they felt no pain. But forced to stand for endless hours, when they became tired, the nails would pierce their bodies, causing agonizing torture. Christians had to undergo unspeakable pain from the communists. They were forced to kneel on the floor with hands handcuffed behind them and lap up soup from a dish and then eat bread in the same position using only their mouths. The bread was broken into very small pieces and the Christians were forced to eat every last crumb from the floor with their tongue. Then they were forced to wash the dish with their tongue while remaining bent over kneeling for hours at a time. This produced excruciating pain as the limbs and back muscles would go numb. Let's close on a positive note. The lesson from Abraham in Genesis 14 is that God wants us to be men and women of courage. Norman MacLeod, 1812-1872, was a Scottish pastor and chaplain to the Queen of England. He wrote a famous poem which became a hymn with these words, Courage, brother, do not stumble, though thy path be dark as night. There's a star to guide the humble. Trust in God and do the right. Though the road be rough and dreary and its end far out of sight, tread it bravely, strong or weary. Trust in God and do the right. Some will hate thee, some will love thee, some will flatter, some will slight. Cease from man and look above thee. Trust in God and do the right. Dear listening friend, never forget the words of Joshua chapter 1. Be strong and courageous. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Dear friend, are you a person of courage? And are you willing to stand up against the current worldwide deception and do the right thing for Christ and the kingdom of God? For of him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory both now and forevermore. Amen. been listening to the program Exaltation. I'm Father David Masterson with Godet Ministries. You may reach us on the web at godetministries.org. That's G-A-U-D-E-T-E ministries.org. This gospel outreach is entirely listener supported. Please help us proclaim the gospel on the radio to a needy world. 
you may donate online at our website. Your gift, large or small, is gratefully appreciated. Until next time, may God richly bless you with this word of encouragement from the prophet Isaiah. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. He gives strength to the weary, and to him who lacks might he increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired, and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not faint.